This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. Really quick, before we begin the show, I just want to mention that CFO Thought Leader is now in print. That's right. You can now subscribe to the quarterly magazine of CFO Strategic Insight at CFOThoughtLeader.com. I share a few more thoughts on this at the end of today's podcast. Now back to the show. Hello, this is Jim Peters, CFO of Whirlpool Corporation, and you are listening to CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 492. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to CFO David Evans of Cardlytics, a company that today partners with financial institutions, 2,000 of them, to help them develop and execute their loyalty programs. Those are programs, of course, that promote customer loyalty and closely observe customer spending habits. It's a view into the customer experience realm few finance leaders wouldn't covet. We speak to David Evans after these words from our sponsor. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu, and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful at planful.com. Uh, and today, uh, the company actually has a uh, 
big showing in the financial institutions uh, space and something like 200 clients currently uh, using it. Hey, David, welcome. Uh, good, good morning. How are you? Do, doing well, doing well. Um, did I say 200 or, or I meant 2,000, of course. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> did I say 2,000? That's right. Yeah, that's, that's right. Look, at the, in, at the end of the day, we're seeing about two out of every five debit and credit card swipes in the United States, and that, that will move to about 50% uh, with the upcoming launch of Wells Fargo, but certainly uh, a pretty exciting story for us as we think about um, uh, going after marketing and advertising through the utilization of, of purchase intelligence. Okay, Im- impressive, and uh, we want to find out about Carlytics, but first... We always ask our finance leaders to look backwards for us, and I have a I have a feeling your background really drives home how you are at this place in time, CFO of this company, I have a feeling. But let, I'll let you explain. If you wouldn't mind, go back and share with us some of those experiences you feel help prepare you to be a CFO. Yeah, interestingly enough, and, and this may or may not be the typical path, but, you know, my my foundation was born in engineering, so um, I started out in industrial engineering out of out of school, and a, and a large part of you know how I view the world is born in that foundation around uh, whether it be how we operate the business from day to day, whether it be uh, the ways that we uh, inherently think about data and analytics to drive our our business and our product to marketers and, and advertising, and, and really in a lot of ways set the tone for uh, the next 20 years of my career. I think it was Steve Steve Jobs who said that. It's hard to connect the dots going forward, but it's but it's pretty easy when you look back and you know Monday morning quarterbacking. Um, it's pretty interesting when you when you think about a career path that that started um, on the engineering front. Um, you know, from there, I spent a good uh, 13 years as an investment banker, and and in doing so, um, spent a decent amount of time in the C-suite and at the board level talking through strategic advisory and, and working on plans for. Um, both organic growth and inorganic growth, and then importantly around capital formation, uh, capital structure, and in a lot of ways has what uh, has enabled us as Cardlytics to be, you know, out there as a public company today and a leader in our space. I always, uh, forgive me, I, I, I have to ask about the downturn only because you were in the banking world when it happened, yeah. and I think yeah. that for those CFOs who were there at that moment in time, there's always a, some reflection that's uh, worthy of sharing, I think. What, what would you share with us about all of what uh, you experienced and the company you were with at that time experience? Yeah, certainly. Um, so I spent, um, you know, the better part of my career at Wachovia Securities and then from there Wells Fargo Securities. And as, as part of that transition between those uh, two bank names was the financial crisis. Um, I think without question you felt that there was more reform and more regulatory scrutiny coming in very broad, far-reaching ways. And that being said, that's a large part of how Cardlytics came to be. So one of those things uh, that came out of that era was the, you know, the Durbin Amendment, which in, in effect reduced the amount of revenues that came into banks through the form of debit interchange. A large part of what our rewards uh, program does for the banks is it helps replace and replenish a lot of those funds because of how we go about delivering our program. We deliver hey, our program. Yeah. 
I'm going to give you high grades for, for working back and do your, the value prep for Carlytics, but I was looking for what you experienced at the time. I don't think you were, that was uh, the opportunity came to you then. It was a painful time, and, and I was looking for that kind of hard lesson um, about the economic uh, circumstances. Is there anything there in that chapter? I mean, certainly, broadly speaking, outside of Carlytics, there was a lot of learning from that, and that, and that is um, all the, the far-reaching ways within which the banking industry got out over their skis from a, from a leverage perspective. Um, um, as an individual, um, it was a learning experience, certainly that part of my career for, you know, how quickly the, the world can, uh, can change, um, not only, you know, from a career perspective, but from an industry perspective as well. So clearly a, a reevaluation, re if you will, of, of, of your place in the professional world. As a, as a path to the CFO office, I would say you're, uh, I would put you among the business development career path rather than That's some right. of the traditional roles. Back at that place in time, did you envision, was the CFO just one uh, uh, direction? It seems to me you could have gone a number of different directions. I think that's absolutely right. I don't. I don't think I set out to be a CFO uh, when I when I exited the banking world. Um, it's kind of where I've, I've landed, uh, and it's and it's been great. But certainly, you know, my paths were one of um, going the you know kind of the private equity route, if you will, um, going more of the corporate development M um, and A route, and then you know ultimately you know a CFO route is certainly one of one of the one of the routes we could have gone down, and it's ultimately where I've landed, but certainly not, not, what, I, not what I planned on, but it's, it's all worked out pretty well. From some of our uh, past discussions uh, with finance leaders that had a business development background, we find that uh, oftentimes they might be a little more uh, creative in terms of how uh, they organize uh, their finance teams, or they might, they might do things differently. Um, what would you tell us uh, how your past experiences in the banking world might have influenced uh, how you've organized finance and created a team? And certainly there are some, some of my fingerprints on ultimately how the team has been designed and, and a, lot of, a lot of those things I brought over from my prior world. I mean, at the end of the day, I wanted – the finance organization to play more of a instrumental role from an operational perspective. I wanted them to be viewed as a true trusted business partner, not not just around how we might account for things, but ultimately around how we make strategic decisions. And as a part of that, it goes into the expectations for you know our work product, if you will. And so I know from my prior background, there was a tremendous amount of scrutiny that was put on our work product, you know, attention to detail, uh, the, the systems that were in place that allowed us to best, um, put us in the best position to put out a quality work product. And in a large way, that is how this team has been organized and it's a, a large part to do with, with the, uh, the systems and, and, and partners that we use to be able to, you know, to deliver quality work product. Was there a particular uh, position uh, after your arrival, was there particular positions that you needed to fill to complete your team? Yeah, so, you know, we take a little bit of a, um, a three-pronged approach with our uh, finance organization. Um, 
those that being corporate development, um, accounting, and SPMA. And so I've been very fortunate uh, to have a very strong team uh, that that I uh, that I help support. Um, I think what's important around that is, you know, that that accounting function being one that really blocks and tackles in a way that 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 enables us to to, to punch above our weight class. I think from an SPNA perspective, we are reaching further into the organization that you might not see in typical SPNA organizations. You know, obviously, you know, budgeting for the for the business, which was not in place when I got here. Uh, being able to forecast a little bit more accurately than, than we were able to before I got here, but but really once we accomplish that, it's it's around you know, measuring the results of the business not only from a financial perspective but an operational perspective, and having the wherewithal to be able to make decisions based on those KPIs, and and that's in a large way um, what I'd like to think that that the finance organization here has has helped. Uh, enable and is a large part of the success that we've um, uh, that we've achieved so far. Corporate development being the, the third uh, the third uh, piece of the equation. You know, obviously we've grown organically up until this point. Um, we have recapitalized in one way, shape, or form uh, multiple times since I've been here, and that function is really important as it relates to um, making sure that we are optimizing for cost capital as well as being positioned for for growth in the future. And uh, like I said, I, I think there's there's some there's some signatures from my prior, prior background that, that we're just at from time to time in the way that we operate day in, day out. Just regarding the FP&A team, uh, is this a is this a three person team today? Is it is it two people or, or how big is your team in FP&A? Yeah, so today we're, we're around three people. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to, to see that grow a, a little bit more, but I think what they're able to do, like I said, is you know, in, in that inner core of core competencies, making sure that we have a strong budget in place that allows for us to go execute on uh, the strategic goals that we put in place every, uh, every year, being able to forecast the business in a way to where as a public company I have the confidence of being able to uh, speak credible, credibly to the street. But beyond that, it starts to get into more of the operational aspects of the business. So as we think about um, the way the sales organization operates and organizes, the way that they are, are incentivized to where we're, we're growing the business in the, in the right areas, and the way in which we think about how, how we're going to continue to in, invest in the business uh, over the long run. And, and, and quite frankly, you're not going to do that with a one-person team, and that's a large part of the reason why I built that team the way that I have, so it gives us the ability to um, do the core basic blocking and tap tackling, but also the ability to, um, to to grow around the periphery as well. Now, would those members then, you, you touched on sales, I'm wondering, would we, those team members, would they be sitting in on certain meetings? Is there a sort of a, a regular structure sure. to how they communicate sure. and work with the businesses? I mean, is it weak? I, I, I guess I'm wondering about the cadence, the frequency yeah, yeah. with which that's done. Is there something that you've encouraged in terms of how they go about their work and how often they meet with their business partners? Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, one of the first things that I did uh, when when I took over the role of CFO was to physically move the finance team from one side of the building to a more central place. <laughs> so just physically speaking, if, if I'm going out 
foster a mantra of making sure that my team is viewed as a true, trusted, strategic business partner. They need to be visible. They need to be trusted, and, and as part of that, it also involves with the cadence and frequency within which they operate. And so, you know, we have weekly meetings with different departments and teams around um, the obvious things, which would be budget-related, but we're also sitting down with them and working through business case analysis. You know, the, one of the things that is, you know, exciting about the data asset that we have built here is there are a lot of different directions we could go in, in monetizing that asset. And so what we have to do is be disciplined around how we deploy capital, and our team is very much involved with helping to assess those opportunities. So helping to assess the, the required resources and capital to go after the opportunities, helping to assess where we think there are pockets of outsized returns to the organization by doing so. And so, um, again, comes back to the frequency within which we are sitting down with departments, but also the way we are viewed as a trusted strategic business partner to the other departments as well. So uh, just one last uh, thought here. It, it was interesting how you uh, revealed how finance has these three sort of underlying functions, P&A, business development, and accounting. Do all three come together regularly as well, I would imagine? But I'm wondering how you, how you bring them together. Is it monthly? Is it, is it quarterly? Is it weekly? What would it be? Yeah, it's kind of all of the above. You know, I sit down with all three teams every week, and then collectively as a team, uh, a couple times, a couple times a month. Um, it's really important for me, at least, for the team to look at one another and and be there for each other. And so, you know, every group has deliverables any given month, and every team member has deliverables any given month. And it's really important for me, at least, for the team to be viewed as as one functioning unit and for each person to be looking out for each each person as it relates to those deliverables um, that they have. I mean, certainly now being a public company, <clears throat> once a quarter we, we have the we have the joy of making sure that all our ducks in a row. And that is a that is a team effort. And so as you know, if people kind of stick their heads up from their day to day, they're gonna they're gonna jump in and make sure that they're available uh, to help to help check documents, numbers and, and all of the above. And so it's part of like I said, functioning is that one you know, well-greased unit to make sure that we're, we're executing the best way we can. Obviously, as it relates to the corporate development piece, we have to be a little bit careful that you know, we're not spreading our wings too far just given the, the, the confidentiality uh, of that function, but nonetheless, uh, all being part of the same unit. Now, tell us what, what are the, uh, the important metrics? What are those metrics that you're looking at before your first cup of coffee in the morning? <laughs> yeah, so... You know, I, I've got a dashboard where I, I look at um, a number of things um, on the advertiser side, meaning you know those of those that, that pay our bills. You know, I'm looking at um, the, the customers that are new, what I would call new logos. So how many new logos we're bringing in? How well we are um, retaining our existing uh, advertisers? How well we are expanding budgets with our existing advertisers? And then data points around where we are entering new verticals um, to uh, to go after new budget. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we are a story of land and expand. It's a new differentiated story um, uh, that is kind of enveloped in this differentiated asset. Um, and 
so I, I'm constantly looking at how successful I would view that side of our business, how, how fast, how quickly we're able to expand the budget, how able we are to retain those advertisers that we've brought on on board, uh, and, and then you know obviously you know any churn you know we're going to track that. So that's on the advertiser side. Uh, on the on the banking side, uh, I want to get too far in the weeds, but we're constantly looking at activation rates, redemption rates, uh, monthly active users, um, um, how engaged basically at the end of the day, how engaged is the banking customer with our programs that better ultimately should direct us for what are the best ways for UI UX to be set up or what are some of the verticals and rewards that work better for some consumers uh, over others. So those are those are kind of the two kind of operational areas that I focus on from a metric perspective. From a financial perspective, the business is very much at an inflection point, meaning for the last five years it has all been about you know market adoption, all about market consolidation, um, and all about growth. Now it's about operating leverage. And so how do we now kind of communicate to the street that the foundation is in place, the fixed costs are in place, and now operating leverage uh, should start to rear its head from a perspective of underscoring the benefits of a fixed-cost business. So those KPIs are, are very simple, obviously, but I'm looking at um, revenue expansion, revenue acceleration, revenue per sales head, revenue per employee, uh, et cetera, et cetera, because our ability, while not profitable, but our ability to be able to point to those data points, the KPIs, that, that show a trend around a business that will show a tremendous amount of operating leverage in the future is going to be paramount to the success of the organization. Okay, so I want to uh, understand then, and again, some of what I've, I've learned uh, from your website and, and other areas. Cardlytics actually runs the banking reward programs that many of financial institutions have today that promote customer loyalty and, you know, those banking relationships. Is this software? Is this analytics? Is it a, a team of um, data engineers? What is this solution exactly? <laughs> it's all, I hate to say it's all of the above, but I'll, let, me, let me get a little bit more specific with you. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, you're right. As a consumer... Um, and as a consumer touch point, this is that white label solution that the banks use to engage with their consumers through a marketing channel, and that marketing channel being in the form of offers uh, and rewards. The, the piece of the story that's important for folks like yourself and investors to understand is what powers that. So what's powering that ultimately is purchase data, and it's 100% of the purchase data for the bank that we work with to be able to help marketers understand where customers are shopping, when they're not shopping with them, and then the tool to be able to reach those customers and then drive them into the store. And so from a you know, differentiated perspective, our ability to be able with, with analytics, with data, and with the levers that, that we use to drive consumer engagement, we, on behalf of marketers, are able to drive spend. Right, and, and that's really truly differentiated if you think about it. A lot of marketers and advertisers who go out there are reaching you know, uh, consumers in the digital world, uh, in the offline world, um, but truly being able to um, price a product based on how much spend you can drive is unique because in order to do that, you have to be able to see the spend. So we see you know, $2.3 trillion in annual U.S. spend, as I mentioned earlier, two and five 
debit and credit uh, card swipes in the United States and about 100 million monthly uh, active users. And so you have this environment where the banks win because they, they have a more engaged uh, uh, a more engaged consumer whereby on average we're reducing monthly attrition by 17% and we're increasing monthly card spend by 9%. So from a bank perspective, you have a more engaged consumer. Um, uh, the customers win because they're they're saving on everyday purchases. You know, we've we've sent out uh, over 255 million uh, in rewards uh, uh, to date for, for for customers. Um, the marketers win, right? We are providing a very unique, uh, differentiated channel for them to go out and reach audience in a very uh, audiences in a very specific way. So, for example, McDonald's comes to us and says, "I want to go." reach all of the fast food shoppers who have not been in one of my stores in the last 90 days. And so we're able to go out and engage with all of those anonymized, we don't see any personally identifiable information, but we go query our own software that resides on a firewall at all of these banks to say, bring me back an anonymized persistent ID that represents someone with these characteristics. And by doing so, then we go back and deliver the appropriate reward to drive spend. And, again, it's being able to measure and drive spend that is really a differentiating factor because now we go back to the marketer and say, you spent a million dollars with us, and we drove $5 million of truly incremental spend into your store that we are able to measure to the penny because we see all of that purchase data. I want to just circle back internally again uh, and understand whether there is a certain metrics and certain non-financial metrics, I should say. And I'm certain uh, with as much tension that you bring to customers inside your client accounts, I imagine you're paying very close attention internally as well. Uh, most of the finance leaders we speak to would tell us very quickly about the net promoter score. Uh, but how are you measuring customer experience today? Look, at the, at the end of the day, engagement plays a big role with that. So if, if bank customers aren't engaging in the program, that, that should tell you something pretty, pretty quickly. Um, and so we are constantly looking at the engagement with the program, meaning those who are you're, you're paying attention to how many people are connecting with that company per day? Or that's, what is that's exactly right, Jack. So, Jack, so you, you, you bank with, for example, Bank of America. I'm looking at how often um, is the ID associated with Jack logging into the, bank, to the banking environment, period. Then, from there, how often are you engaging in your Chase Offers program or your Bank of, bank of America deals program? Then I'm looking at how many offers are you seeing? Are you seeing eight or are you seeing 28? Then I'm looking at how many of those offers do you activate. And then most importantly, I'm looking at and how often, how much are you spending with those advertisers post-impression. So did we influence your spend, or were you going to spend there anyway? And that incrementality is truly what differentiates us, that ability to measure that incrementality, that ability to be able to put a dollar amount of value to our program and that engagement aspect of how you interact with your bank uh, is, is really important. So all of the metrics associated with that are the things that I'm, that I'm tracking on a daily and weekly basis.
So we want to uh, ask you for what is a, sort of our signature question. Uh, we call it the finance strategic moment question, and I'm sure you've had many of these during the course of your career. But this is where, uh, given the lines of sight into the organization, you saw something that others couldn't. And as a leader, you were able to respond and take action. Maybe you saw a risk. Maybe you saw an opportunity. What comes to mind when I, I ask for a finance strategic moment? Look, I think a large part of what I brought to the table in coming to Carcolytics was my prior experience in investment banking, and, and a large part of my time there was spent, you know, taking companies public. Um, taking on the role, I knew that that was a likely, if not viable, path for the business. I think that moment was in in and around how the company was positioning itself, and at the time, it was how they were positioning itself to to banks or financial institutions and how it was positioning them itself to advertisers. The, the aha moment was, does this job with how we think about positioning this business to uh, institutional investors? And so all of those check boxes that you like to check on behalf of any Wall Street investor, you know, uh, what, you know how much visibility do I have in the, in the business? What does revenue growth look like? Where do I see opportunities for margin, uh, margin expansion? Um, how sticky uh, is the business? Um, how do I think about a KPI set that demonstrates um, operating leverage? Um, all of those things that you would think about, the, the things that you need, um, uh, customer concentration, for example, that you need to check the bottom before you go out to the market were very much top of mind for me as soon as I felt like we had a viable path to, to getting out um, as, a, as a public business. And so certainly the business itself from an operational perspective uh, started to evolve in a way to where we could begin to check those boxes to make ourselves a very attractive investment for public investors. Carlytics CFO David Evans enters the mentoring round with us after this. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. I want to jump to our mentoring round where I ask you several questions intended to help mentor and inspire future finance leaders. We want to know what it is today that's exciting you about finance and business, not during the course of your career, but today. What is it that's exciting you now? I, I think more than anything, if you look at the past 10 or 20 years, there's been, there's been so much technological development that we've reached a phase of maturity to where businesses now truly get differentiated. I mean, if you think about all the industries that are being differentiated, as you and I sit here speaking today, that came from a maturation in the adoption of te 
technological cycles, right? Uber wouldn't be able to do what they do today if the technology wasn't wasn't there. Same with Airbnb. Same with so many of these other areas. And so, ultimately, what that means from a, from a business and finance perspective will will mean there are going to be di- different ways in which investors value business and the ways that they see opportunity, um, 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 hidden KPIs, if you will, that will help illuminate valuable attributes in differentiated business models that we didn't necessarily see or know to, know to look for uh, 10 years ago. And, and that pace is accelerating in such a way that I think it's going to be very exciting uh, over the next over the next five or five or ten years. So, you know, obviously from a financial perspective it's exciting, but I think even more so um, from a business perspective, the way that uh, the way that our world is going to change over the next five five or ten years is going to be a, a very exciting period of time for us. Okay, so uh, looking back once again, when you first stepped in to the CFO office, you left your banking days <laughs> behind. What is that piece of advice you wish someone had given you as you took on the role? Something you know now uh, that you wish someone had at least uh, whispered in your ear way back when? Yeah. You know, slow down, have patience, build a team for the long run. You're not going to solve everything tomorrow. Make sure you surround yourself with good, smart people. Make sure you position yourself to work for a supportive board and a true partner and a CEO. Um, those are all the ingredients that I know that I've, I've needed to be successful up to this point for sure. Do you have a, a personal habit or a, a daily routine that you believe has contributed to your professional success in some way? Yeah, I, I think a large part of it is, uh, of, of my routine is more weekly. Um, you know, it, it's really, you know, getting in early and, and, and reviewing the dashboard every day, uh, making sure I understand the, the components that are, are changing or evolving, um, you know, making sure that I force myself from a routine perspective to get out of my comfort zone uh, a little bit a little bit more than I'd like to. And that, all, that, that all, not only means from a work perspective, but, you know, from a networking perspective, you know, spending time not only with people within the organization, but spending time with people, you know, in the community. I mean, a lot of times these things can – uh, it can be things that are not uh, a top priority for you, but um, I do try to, to make that uh, a part of my normal routine so that I'm gaining perspective not only about our business and, and how we are positioned in the market, but ultimately, you know, where we could end up, uh, what we could end up being, you know, down the road. Is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? Um, I don't know. It's probably more applicable to um, – all leaders, not just finance, but you know, uh, over the over the over the break, I, uh, I picked up and read "Measure What Matters" by John Doerr. Uh, it's really just around making sure that you are use, utilizing you know facts, data, and, and to, to formulate um, uh, a go forward strategy. So really adopting those OKRs, those objectives, uh, key results to kind of help uh, to help drive the business. Okay, we're up to our final question. What are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? You know, at the, at the end of the day, I don't, you know, it might not sound, might be a little more subjective than objective, but at the end of the day, my, my goal for every year is to make sure that the people I surround myself with 
benefit in a very positive way, both personally and professionally from their time spent here. So making sure that they have the, the resources and environment to be as successful as they possibly can be. I think if I start with that, all the things that, that fall in place from there, whether it be, you know, whether it be you know, making sure we have a more efficiently run organization, making sure we have a more data-driven organiza organization, um, making sure we're in a position to make smarter decisions, all of those things kind of fall into place if, if, you, if you can create the right uh, environment. David Evans, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you, Jack. Appreciate it. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.